0: Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. How's everybody doing tonight? Great. Man, I love Akin. Don't you love Akin? Comes with his little pictures, shows us how God's changing lives on the campus. When I moved to Nashville, it was 11 years ago now, um, and I was a um, barista at Starbucks. Uh, and so I worked at Starbucks, and I volunteered in youth. And Akin was a, a tenth-grade superhero um, who was leading from keys and, and preaching the gospel and all this stuff. And so seeing you grow and develop as as a man and a minister is is incredible. Thank you for um, for being here tonight. And I actually really enjoyed um, today. Akin and I got to spend some time at Vanderbilt University. Um, if you keep playing, I'm just gonna like start talking really slow, and you're just gonna start preaching the intro of the sermon. And so. Thank you. Uh, Because if you keep playing it, it's probably going to take twice as long to preach through this message. Uh, And so for their sake, thank you, um, Ismarie. Um, But being with Akin at Vanderbilt University, and he was sharing um, just a moment ago about the God test, and a lot of you are familiar with the God test. It's just a a little kind of booklet like this that facilitates conversations about God. And so uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, You kind of uh, start a conversation with somebody, and uh, you know you kind of introduce uh, this, and, and most people are really interested in, in hearing and having a conversation, because that's all it is, it facilitates a dialogue, and so uh, we had a few meaningful conversations today, somebody uh, by the grace of God gave their life to Jesus, and is now uh, living a different life tonight than they would have been earlier today, um, but I mean, praise God, that's exciting, heaven's, heaven's already taken care of the party, so I guess you're off the hook, um, so uh, praise God. But, so it's a simple tool, and and the first question is is quite easy. Do you believe in God? And so, you know, the answer is pretty clear, yes or no, but if you say yes, then the next question is, how would you describe God? And so, we've done this a lot of times, and uh, I would say 90% of the time, you have some similar answer. God is big. God is everywhere, God is powerful, uh, God is, is separate from us, uh, most would say he's some level of, of morally perfect, they might not put this word to it, but he's holy, uh, he's set apart, that's the series that we're in on Wednesday nights and kind of a theme uh, for our, our entire year, set apart, the biblical view of holiness, and so uh, it, it's really easy uh, to get that part, You, you know whether you uh, call yourself a Christian or some other religion or just a, a general theist, Uh, It's really easy to say God is holy, and then the next question comes. Question number three is what does God expect of us? Now, if you painted this picture of God as loving and merciful and, and just amazing and rainbows and unicorns and all that, and that's a really easy question God expects of us. I mean, we're we're kind of, you know, good. But you back yourself into a little bit of a corner when you say God is holy and perfect. And then now there's an expectation on us because a holy and perfect God can't have less than perfect expectations for us. And so you start to experience this this dissonance between who we want God to be and who he actually would have to be in order to fulfill what we thought would happen. And so you have in question two, God is holy and perfect, and then the table turns. What does God expect of us? And any human would go, uh, 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 well, huh, that's a, a tricky one. God, he's perfect. And here is where we put three letters, B U T. God is perfect, and, and I try my best, but, you know, I'm, I'm a human, and, and we're, we're not perfect, and so, I, and you go further in the, the question, and it says, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how are you meeting those expectations? And here's where I don't know if I've ever met anybody, except for maybe once or twice, uh, that doesn't give themselves or a six or a seven. It's like, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not, you know, uh, the worst person I know. Uh, and so we grade ourselves on a curve a little bit. We say, well, we're better than bad, but we still know there's a gap between us and perfection. And so we have this B U T God is perfect, but I'm not. And it's almost a foregone conclusion that there's not a way for us to be uh, perfect like God but it puts us in this state of dissonance where we have a perfect God that we say we believe in and an imperfect us that we're fully willing to to take, you know, uh, acknowledge, you know, our imperfection and this gap that we'd rather not acknowledge exists. Because we know God's holiness and his otherness and we, we know that God is, is is holy, He's fair, He's just. He, he's right in every way. we know that our uh, you know selves are, are not. So we want a God who's both holy and loving, but here's where they start to conflict again. It's almost like a, a chemical reaction. You think about all of the, the benefits of baking soda, right? You have uh, ways you can clean things and preserve things and shine things up. Baking soda in itself is a really helpful thing to have. Vinegar in itself is a really nice thing to have, right? It has flavor to things. It also has cleansing, you know, capabilities. It, it preserves things to, to alter the flavor, like pickling and things like that. Vinegar, really good. You have the love of God that adds flavor to your salad. You have the, you know, the holiness of God that cleans you up uh, but when you put them together, you have a chemical reaction. Baking soda and vinegar. And it feels like that when we think about the holiness and justice of God and the mercy and love of God. It's almost like two separated forces that, that if you just drew a straight line, they would go on and on forever without touching. But what actually happens when a holy God comes close to an unholy us. I think we fear the chemical reaction of God's baking soda to our vinegar, but I I think that we see here in Scripture that there's a way that it's not only not a collision, it's something really beautiful. Um, Would you turn with me to John chapter 8? John chapter... So just for a little bit of backdrop to to what we're going to be reading tonight, Jesus has been teaching uh, all around the the greater Galilean area, uh, right? And so uh, here we have Jesus teaching here and there, he's popping up uh, all over, and the Pharisees are starting to catch wind, and they're not a big fan of this Jesus guy, because he's making statements that really threaten uh, their way of life and the the way that they've been making their way in the world uh, up until this point, and so... Uh, they start saying, guys, we got to do something about this. So in John chapter 7, uh, you have they're, they're really trying to catch him on something that they can arrest him for, take him to the powers that be to have some level of punishment and really shut this guy up. And so you have uh, these Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. And so finally they have a huddle and they go, guys, we got to figure out a way. Well, Nicodemus, who shows himself in John chapter three, uh, in this conversation with Jesus, he, uh, he's the kind of the guy that, that puts the brakes on. Him. He says, guys, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? The stage is set. The challenge has been put forth. If we can just find something to catch Jesus on, then we might have a chance of getting him shut down. Insert John chapter 8, starting at verse 2. At dawn, he, being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses. uh, It commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Don't you hate when people put words in your mouth? Like, isn't that just the worst when somebody said, well, you know what Bryson said was, and then he didn't, like, I didn't. Like, isn't that, isn't that just the worst? Like, uh, if you've ever had that happen, you know, it just hurts you and pains you. So we start off the scene with the Pharisees doing that. Now, they have this woman, and technically, in a way, they're sort of true, sort of right, as they reference uh, earlier Old Testament laws, but they're going about it the wrong way. Uh, first, you know, it, it talks about uh, should there be a punishment inflicted that both the, the male and the female who are caught in such an act need to be uh, brought before a trial. Uh, in the right place with someone who witnessed that. So there's evidence that they neither witnessed it nor took the man there. Uh, They're just finding a cheap way to get Jesus in a sticky situation. And so they do that by bending the law themselves to see if Jesus will really be uh, who he said he is because they, they know that if they put this, he's forced to break a law. Either he's gonna break the Mosaic law and say, no, let her off the hook or he's going to break the Roman law uh, by uh, pushing forward an execution uh, without their say. As we have Jesus in his binds, uh, he's going to have to defy somebody, or so they think, and so uh, they, they think this is the thing we're going to do. They're grasping at anything to keep them in the situation that they've been in, which is a level of power, uh, and we do weird things when it comes to power. Like, humans just get sticky, and we have this way of, of uh, creating a system that if we can just make sure that we're not the lowest, similar to the question of what does God expect of us, how are we meeting it, it's like, I'm not saying I'm a 10, but I know we were having a conversation today with a student where he's like, you know, he, I think he said he was a 7, because I see what all these other people are doing, and I know I'm not as bad as them, So I got to find my way somewhere in here. So if we can just keep the pile, you know, of bad people, you know, bigger then I feel a little bit better about myself. And so this is where the Pharisees start finding themselves and they turn this relationship with God into a formula of if I just do A plus B, then I'm sure to get C and insert this Jesus guy who's starting to mess all of that up. And I think sometimes we can look at the Pharisees and just turn them into villains a little off the bat without realizing the bit of Pharisee in all of us. Like if we could just for a moment put ourselves in their shoes, they had lived a life and and we even pegged them as these just these evil guys i really believe that the pharisees were for the most part trying to do their best to live you know their interpretation of the torah or the, the what we would call the old testament the, and so um they're, they're living this life trying to be holy and, and at a certain point that's resulted in some level of status and, and power and the way they've structured their life is around being right and so this guy named jesus starts to threaten that and, and all of a sudden, if you put yourself in their shoes, you, you realize that something's really at stake here if this Jesus is right. If Jesus is actually who he said he is, that means everything I've built my life around is being flipped on his head. And if Jesus really is who He said He is, then that means an absolute, not just minor course correction, but 180 in the way that I've lived my life. And I care more about living my life the way I've been living it and having what I've had than really even giving a a thought to this Jesus actually being God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way uh, to prove He's wrong, uh, even though if He's given a really good act, if He's really doing his best shot. this is going to be the moment and everything can go back to the way it was. Am I going to do something a little sketchy? Sure. But tomorrow everything is going to be back to normal. And so these Pharisees do something I'm sure they never thought they would be doing, finding a woman doing something she maybe never thought she would be doing and putting her in front of the crowd and saying, look at her. What in your life is threatened by the lordship of Jesus? What do you have at stake if Jesus really is God? And a lot of people in the room probably would profess with their mouth, of course Jesus is God. Of course he's actually Lord of the universe. Uh, But what's at stake if God actually is who he says he is and God can actually do what the Bible says he can do? Really, how does that line up with the way that we live? Uh, What's at stake? Is the entertainment that I choose to to watch, is that at stake? Is the way that I choose to to live and, and talk, is that at stake? What's the thing that's threatened in your life by the lordship of Jesus? Because I think part of us doesn't really want Jesus to actually be God because that has implications for us. But that's not really what the story is about. See, this woman is just a prop in their scheme to to put Jesus in this uh, this place of, is he going to break the Mosaic law or is he going to break the Roman law? They're really asking the question, is he merciful or is he just? Is Jesus merciful or is he fair? Because in this situation, he can't be both. He either needs to let her off the hook or follow through with what the law says to do. He, re, he, he has to choose A or B. There's not really a middle ground. So let's see what Jesus does in this second movement. John 8, uh, verse 7 says this. When they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. I think that this is a story that we choose um, not to identify with at all. We uh, like to identify with the hero of the story. And so we we really have three kind of characters or categories of characters, right? You have the Pharisees, uh, and then you have the woman, then you have Jesus. And so we say, well, we don't want to be the Pharisees. Uh, We we know we're not as good as Jesus. uh, And uh, here... I don't think I really want to acknowledge that there's this woman in me as well, um, because uh, it would mean I'd have to admit that there are some things that I've done that I'm ashamed of. I would have to admit that there's been times in my life that I hope nobody could rewind the tape to rewatch there are things that I did that I hope people don't find out about. And God, I hope they don't find out publicly like this woman is put in this situation. There's times in my life that I would be embarrassed if they went on the big screen right now. If we really want to find ourselves in a character, uh, then to to find ourselves in this woman, we have to come to that spot that we realize there's actually something in me uh, that's broken and flawed that, man, I would rather this be on a page than an actual reality. That's how we feel reading it. Imagine how this woman feels living it. Somebody found her doing something she probably thought she would never come to. Perhaps if we were just to create a little bit of a character, um, she was going into a situation uh, not sure how to get out of it saying this is going to be the last time i we're we're messing things up this is bad for for his relationship for my relationship this is this is the last time and in walks a pharisee in walks an accuser in walks somebody to pull you out in one of the most shameful moments of your life when you've absolutely blown it and pulls you out in who knows what condition in the temple courts to say look at her Imagine that embarrassing moment that you hope nobody finds out about. And in that moment, somebody pulling you out and saying, look at what this person is doing. What are you gonna do about it, Jesus? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna actually follow through with what you said, or are you just talk? Are you gonna be merciful Or are you going to be just? The Pharisees in this moment are testing Jesus' holiness. And I think the situation is testing his mercy. Will he be merciful or will he be just? But the truth is, I don't think that we want a God that's just one or the other. Makes me think of another chemical reaction: um, sodium and chlorine. Sodium alone is is poisonous, right? You you have uh, as a a block chlorine gas. uh, As alone is also poisonous, but when you put them together, it's salt. When you have mercy alone, it leads to to lawlessness and a license just to live and let die. Do whatever you want. You have the the YOLO free pass forever. It's mercy. I have everything covered by the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Let's just sing songs about God's mercy and grace because as much as I screw my life up, then he's just going to forgive me and it's all going to be good, right? That ends up in anarchy, But then on the other side of the poison spectrum, if God is only just and if he's only fair, it leads us to to pride and legalism. And even in our pride and legalism, we can never be perfect enough. It's poisonous on the other side. We have a poisonous situation over here and a poisonous situation over there. But when you put them together, it's the gospel. That God is fully holy and fully Just. but the truth is what the Pharisees were saying although they had it just a little bit off it wasn't inaccurate the woman actually did what they were saying she did and the penalty actually was what they were saying it was so we can talk about This loving Jesus, this loving God, this grace filled God. And we can talk about him, um, but at, at the end of the day, he really does have to choose to be one or the other, doesn't he? Because in order to show mercy to me, he would have to withhold some justice. He goes on to say this in John chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's not that nobody there could condemn her. It's that the only one there eligible to condemn her chose not to. Because as these men put down their rocks and walked away, there still was one man there who was without sin and eligible to carry out the punishment that she deserved if anybody was able to pick up a rock and say, it's time, it would be Jesus. So if God's actually just, why didn't he? If he's actually fair then why wouldn't he use it as a setup? Because here, Jesus doesn't uh, let her off the hook, just carte blanche. He actually doesn't say, no, 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 guys, don't stone her. He says, essentially, do it. And the person who without sin can even throw the first stone. So why wouldn't Jesus live up to the talk of the Old Testament that there's consequences for your sin and take the stone and... Do what it says you should do. You know, the only one who could have performed the execution didn't. And you know the way that Jesus can offer that without sacrificing his holiness is because the chapters later, the penalty would be carried out But instead of being on the woman, it would be on him. That the sin that she did commit, that has real consequences, could only be let off the hook if somebody would actually pay the price for that sin. And so his eligibility to throw the stone was the same eligibility uh, that it was to take the cross that she deserved. So, because he was the only one eligible to throw it, he was the only one eligible to take it. So, you have this Jesus, this God wrapped in flesh. Walking on earth as a man, coming into this situation and neither letting her off the hook or uh, holding her fully accountable for the, the payment of the sin, but saying, Put it on my tab. That just in a few chapters you're going to see. In just a few chapters, uh, you're going to see me stretched out on a cross. And when I look at the cross uh, and a beam going this way and a beam going this way, we see the intersection of God's justice and his love. That we see in the person of Jesus that God. God is fully fair, he's fully just in every way, executing the order to give perfection to humanity again. And at the same time, he's fully loving, fully offering himself to us, to you, to you, to you. He's fully, all of these things, we see this person in Jesus because we don't want a God that's not fair. Obviously, we long for a day where everything that's wrong will be made right. Everything that's broken will be made whole. Everything that's sick will be made well. Again, we want justice. But if God actually did that right now without us having Jesus, we would be obliterated forever. People say God can't exist because there's there's evil in the world and I mean don't get me wrong, God could end evil like that. He would just have to end us. So in some ways, evil that we see is a a sign that God is still patient. Because I think about sometimes, we say God comes through, and and I want Jesus to come back. Don't get me wrong, I can't wait for the day that Jesus comes and saves his bride, the church, and and restores everything. But I think about, what if Jesus came 1.1 second before I accepted him as my Savior, What if Jesus chose to came back just a second before I said, "Yes, I'll make you Lord of my life." Eternity would look a lot different for me. So we say, "Come, Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus." And yes, Jesus, we, we, we want you to come and we can't wait for it, but at the same time, thank you for waiting. Thank you, because I still have family members I'm, I'm, I'm believing for. I still have loved ones that I'm believing for. We walked around campus today. We walk around campus every week uh, looking at people that, uh, God, just wait. Just wait another day. God, just wait another week, please. Please. And so uh, we see th- this God who's, who's perfectly loving, perfectly just, hanging on a cross for you and for me. And I think that we want to interpret that sometimes and we want to end it just a sentence earlier or a phrase early, rather. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. We say, isn't this a great story of how God, you know, how Jesus comes. He says, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. Peace. Have fun. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life Of sin. And it's beautiful to see this this two part response that he prescribes to to his love and his mercy and his justice all at the same time, neither do I condemn you now go and leave your life of sin, now don't get me wrong Jesus loves you, messed up broken, sin ridden you, he loves you knowing what you've done in the past, what you did last night, what you're going to do tomorrow Jesus loves you, he didn't die for your potential, he died for you, he didn't die for who you could be one day, he didn't die because he saw you as a good investment that if I just wait a little bit and they get themselves sanctified and put together, then one day they're going to do something good for me. No, no, no. He died for messed up you. He loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. You see, doesn't Jesus love sinners? Absolutely. Jesus is crazy about sinners. He says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. But he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us in our mess and in our junk. He offers us a better way. And so the same Jesus that offers this just mercy to this woman offers this just mercy to you and to me. And we have the same response. He says, Neither do I condemn you. We accept Jesus' forgiveness. And maybe, maybe you're here and you feel like, well, this is elementary. This is, well, duh. How we accept Jesus' forgiveness? And I think there's some things, though, that, that when we really look at our life, we say, did I accept Jesus' forgiveness for everything? Or is there still some things that I'm holding myself prisoner to that I won't even forgive myself for? Something that... I broke so irreparably or some damage that I did that I just uh, Jesus might have forgiven me in in theory but I haven't forgiven myself no Jesus even forgave you for that to accept his forgiveness and then walk in obedience to who uh, to, to the life that he calls us to and I I think about, you know, sometimes we think that surrendering to Jesus is this, this big act of, I had this amazing thing and God, I'm going to now lay it down. But, but Jesus, the creator of the human experience, the word made flesh, he uh, created what it means to, to live and breathe and be and to love and have a life of meaning and fulfillment. And this Jesus, author of everything, is offering uh, to, to guide you through that experience that's not a sacrifice, that's a gift. say, "Of, of course I give you control. Of course I want to live your way. You know how to do this so much better than I do accepting His forgiveness and submitting to His Lordship. It's the same as He offers this woman. It's the same thing He offers to us. And, um... Today is, uh, depending on the, the Christian tradition you come from, or if you uh, have grown up acknowledging this, it's Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. Um, and so you might have seen a different context today people with um, ashes making a cross um, on their, their forehead. And this is a, a day where people do that. And the ashes, they sim- sim- symbolize uh, mortality, penance, and the need and longing for spiritual renewal. what better day for us to come to a conclusion of saying life is short and the price is paid spiritual renewal is available maybe you've prayed that prayer years ago he said jesus you could be lord of my life you, maybe i'm not asking for every head bowed every eye closed hands and none of that stuff this is a moment for you and jesus maybe you prayed that long ago or maybe you've prayed it uh never but this is a chance if you would just close your eyes um, it's not a magical thing it's just an opportunity to take a heart inventory uh, on our own said Jesus, where have I not fully accepted your forgiveness and where am I not fully following you? Because something that seems so elementary and basic can feel such that way that we put it on a shelf and don't examine it often enough. But just ask... Ask God, where have I not fully accepted your forgiveness, the love that's available by your work on the cross? And where am I not living in obedience to you? And that's why they call the good news the good news, because Jesus on the cross was... The payment for all of the areas that you neither accepted forgiveness or were walking in obedience to him uh, for and so our response is just to say thank you so we do that, would you pray with me Jesus thank you God to say we don't deserve you is an understatement God it would be more accurate to say that it's ridiculous that you would even think of us God, you had no business even giving us a second thought. Lord, it's absolutely obscene that a holy God would take a cross for an unholy me, an unholy us. And it's only by your grace it's only by your mercy it's only by your love that we can even be communing with you now that we could even speak to you from any state but god the fact that you don't only uh, become knowable to us but you call us sons and daughters you don't just accept us into your courts, God, you, you sit us on your lap and you, you, you become our, our, our father. Lord, you give us, uh, not just a, an, um, access to be around you, but you, you dwell in us. God, it's absolutely outrageous the way you love us, but God, we can only say thank you. You paid a debt that we could never repay. There's no payment plan long enough or affordable enough, God, that we could ever have a chance. Jesus, we say thank you. Um, If you would just stand with me here together. We're going to just close by singing a song.